0: Now, before I begin, it's always good when the preacher starts with a disclaimer, but I have to give this. I have permission to tell this story. I've been married to Megan for over 20 years. Huge blessing for me. I mean that. She, uh, we get along great. We really... Uh, We don't fight. It's pretty boring at the Allen household. Honestly, we don't have fights. And um, over the years, though, there have been moments of disagreement. And when we have disagreements, they're about only the really big, important issues, like song lyrics, big stuff. I remember it was about a decade or so ago, we were on a road trip to see family, and if you know my wife, Megan, Megan will just randomly burst into song. That's just who she is. I love it most of the time. It's July, and she's singing a Christmas song. I have a strict after-Thanksgiving rule on Christmas songs. I don't know why she's singing in July, but she's singing Melakaliki Maka. <laughs> now, if you know that, the, the lyrics to Melakaliki Maka are It's Hawaii's way to say Merry Christmas to you. Well, she's not singing that. She's singing Melakaliki Maka is the wise way. And I'm like, Oh, she just let it go, right? No, it's my obligation and duty to tell her she's singing the wrong words it's not a big deal i know that but in that moment i had to let her know she was singing the wrong words but here was the problem when i tell her it's not the wise way it's hawaii's way we had a huge miscommunication now normally when you tell someone they're reading the singing the song song lyrics wrong you just look it up on google it and it's over well we were in the only dead spot on that entire trip. We had no cell service whatsoever. And so instead of just letting it ride and just waiting it out until we had service again, we begin to defend why we think it's what we think it is. And so I like to refer to this as the great debate. You see, what Megan thought I was saying was Hawaii's what I was actually saying is Hawaii's all right that's the correct lyric I'm trying to explain it to Hawaii's and she's adamant it's not Hawaii's isn't in a word I'm like, yes, it's Hawaii's. You're like Chinese, Japanese, Hawaii's. Right, it doesn't make sense. She's adamant. She says, it may not be the wise way, but it is definitely not Hawaii's way. <sighs> I'm getting frustrated and frustrated. I know it's no big deal, but I cannot convince her what the real lyric is. Finally. I get so frustrated, I just spell it out. Uh, Hawaii's, H-A-W-A-I-I apostrophe S. As soon as I said apostrophe, it's like a light bulb went off. Oh, you mean Hawaii's, not Hawaii's. Yes. (sighs) Yes. Now, it, we have good fun, and today, when we have a moment of miscommunication, we'll just say, Hawaii's. <laughs> I, I, but Megan was so convinced she knew what I was saying that she didn't have the framework of mind to even think about an apostrophe. She was so certain I was saying Hawaii's that she couldn't get I was saying Hawaii's. <laughs> All right. Maybe I can see your point, but it's hard for us to listen to hear when we think we know what the other's going to say or what they mean to say. That's where we find the disciples in our text today in Luke chapter 18. Disciples are so convinced that they're not really hearing or able to understand what Jesus is saying. So before we read it, let's take a moment. Let's just try to clear our minds from distraction and ask God to bless our study in his word. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive your word that we would be doers and not hearers only. We pray for understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 18, verse 31, Jesus, in taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him they will kill him and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them and they could not grasp what was said. This is the third time that Jesus predicts his death. The first time we see it if you remember it was back all the way back in Luke chapter 9. The Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people say I am? And the disciples are quick to answer, Jesus, you're not going to believe this. They, they think you are John the Baptist, back from the dead. Even Herod thought that. Jesus, you're not going to believe. They think you're Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets of old. Come back. And that's when Peter, it dawned on him. God revealed it to him. Said that you Jesus, you are the Christ. It's not his last name, it's the title. You are the Christ of God. You are the Messiah, the one, the anointed one. And Jesus, as soon as Peter says that, says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then just a few later, Verses later in Luke 9, the crowds are marveling at all that Jesus can do. And Jesus says to his disciples a second time, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But the disciples didn't understand it. Luke says they were even afraid to ask Jesus about it. But notice this third time, Jesus gives more detail. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Going to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the heart of Israel. Jerusalem, Jesus knew what it meant to go there. That everything that was written about the Son of Man by the prophets... He was going to accomplish. He knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew the cost. Jesus knew the price he was going to pay by going to Jerusalem. I found it fascinating that, you know, remember back in Luke 9, we have the mountain of transfiguration. You remember this is where Jesus is transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John, and there's Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Those guys could talk about anything. And it would be exciting. But do you remember what Moses and Elijah, what they were talking about? They were talking about Jesus' departure that was about to take place in Jerusalem. That, I I just, Jesus knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem. This is what his focus his face. Everything has been pointing in this direction. He knew what was going to happen. Jesus faced his Jerusalem. Where we might be tempted to be full of fear, like the disciples, we would be tempted to run away. Jesus was set on accomplishing his purpose and mission despite the cost. Humans, we we generally try to avoid confrontation. We like to play it safe. We stay in the shallow end. We avoid the elephant in the room. We avoid confrontation, conflict at all costs, but not Jesus He faces the fear, the pain. What he wants us to do is to do the same thing. In fact, we're told over and over not to be afraid. Fear should not control us, and fear didn't control Jesus. When Jesus disciples us, he treats us the same way. Notice here that Jesus wants us to confront our fears, but he uses a a, a key word here with Jerusalem for the disciples. He says, we are going to Jerusalem. That Jesus doesn't ask us to face our fears alone. He's not going to throw us into the deep end of the pool. Say, good luck with that. Hope you learn. That's not how he works. That it is we. He has given everything we need. By him going to Jerusalem, the victory that Jesus secured on the cross gives us everything we need to be victorious. You see, what is your Jerusalem today, though? Your Jerusalem, what I mean by that. What is your Jerusalem? What is the place in your life that is calling for you to give ultimate trust to God? What is it that's holding you back from fully pursuing Him? What is your Jerusalem? Last week, we saw The rich young ruler, his Jerusalem was his wealth. He was doing everything right, but there was a cost, a price he wasn't willing to pay to follow Jesus. When some of us are just like him and holding on to things, we've got all this stuff, our hands are full, that's keeping us from following and doing what we know he's calling us to do. We know that he's gifted us. He's, he's given us opportunities. He's given us a voice. He's given us influence to make a difference for his kingdom. But something's holding us back. What is it for you? I remember a story of a guy... Uh, I'm just gonna call him Gerald. That's not his real name. If your name Gerald, if your name's Gerald, I'm sorry. Not that your name's Gerald, just I'm not talking about you. Gerald was in high school. His parents were active in church. And Gerald, he fell in love with Jesus. I mean, just went all in. His life began to change. He, he, he was excited about what Jesus was doing, and he wanted everyone to know. And Gerald felt God was calling him to go into ministry, that he was going to dedicate his life to making it easier for other people to know Jesus. When he told his parents, and you think you would think his parents would be so ecstatic, right? When he told his parents that he wanted to go to Bible college and seminary and devote his life to ministry, they didn't give him an attaboy. Their response was simple. Gerald, there's no money in ministry. Gerald, I wish I could tell you, he faced his Jerusalem, gave it all up, despite what his parents said, followed and did what he knew God was calling him to do. But that's not the case. Gerald's not in ministry today. In fact, Gerald's not involved in any ministry, participating in any way. What's your Jerusalem? What's keeping you from hearing his voice? It's holding you back. Jesus told the 12, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. See, one of the reasons... I'm convinced that Jesus faces Jerusalem. Why the fear didn't control him is because he knew the scriptures. He knew who was in control. He knew who held the future. Do you know the word of God can bring peace to our lives too? I think there's a couple reasons why God's word can bring us peace. Number one, as we get into God's word, we get closer to the prince of peace jesus but then the second reason is we know who holds the future all the uncertainty we know the bible erases a lot of the unknowns in life that we we know what happens in the end we know what happens if we sin we know what happens if we obey we know what happens if we disobey or don't listen and we know what happens if we do listen to god You see, Jesus addresses the disciples' fear and tells them this is what's going to happen in Jerusalem has already been revealed by God's word. And we know that the disciples didn't understand. It wasn't because they're just a bunch of dumb fishermen. They just, they couldn't grasp. Think about this. All of their lives, they had been taught that the Messiah, the Christ he would be a political figure. The idea of a suffering Messiah that would be rejected, crucified, and raised from the dead, just, they had no framework for that. It, it would have caused all the circuits in their mind to, bro- to blow. You see, the people in Jesus' day, like the disciples, when they were thinking of the Messiah, the, the Old Testament prophets spoke of a coming champion, From Genesis 3 to Malachi 4, the the prophets in the Old Testament are looking forward to the Messiah. The prophets, well, they were speaking to people in despair, encouraging to hold on by faith that God's going to show up, and when He shows up, it's going to be big. You just can't even imagine how big it's going to be. There's over 300 details of the coming Messiah. And these aren't broad generalizations that will apply to anyone and they just happen to get it right because, well, it could, could happen by anyone. No, these were so specific, even things outside of, of just Jesus' control, like where he was born, what others would do. That, that, that all of these are so specific for the Messiah that when the disciples heard Jesus saying, this is going to happen, it didn't make sense because they knew all of these other prophecies about the Messiah, They they were expecting Jesus to come and establish an earthly kingdom. They were thinking, he's going to kick Rome out. But his kingdom is so much bigger than just the land of Israel. The kingdom Jesus is establishing isn't just some land the size of Vermont. No, his authority and rule, his, his his kingdom is bigger. It's truly out of this world. That is the kingdom Jesus is bringing in. But prophecies the the disciples would have held on to. We don't have time to go through the whole Old Testament to see how they were so, where they were. But here's a couple, Daniel. Let's take Daniel chapter two, verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms, and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. The disciples would hear that and think there is no longer going to be a Roman sitting on the throne. Or Daniel chapter 7, I saw in the night visions, and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. Notice that. And he came to the ancient of days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. If you have an everlasting dominion, a kingdom that will never be destroyed, never go to another people, well, how in the world can you have a king That dies on a cross. Can you see why the disciples didn't get it? We don't have time, but if you're taking notes, write down Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. These are just two examples where we see a suffering Messiah. Isaiah 53:5, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities psalm 22:16 they have pierced my hands and feet think about this crucifixion was a form of execution that hadn't even been invented when psalm and uh, and isaiah were written jesus being pierced was prophecy god given centuries before jesus was even born on in bethlehem verse 7 He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Remember how Matthew records the night Jesus is put on trial. Matthew 26, 62. All these false witnesses are lying, trying to make stories up. And you can imagine how infuriating it is. People lying about you and putting you on trial for the lies. And the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. You see, Jesus is fulfilling all. All the prophecies about the Son of Man. The disciples don't understand because it's not what they expected. There are so many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled that are just so specific that skeptics have said, listen, Scripture, these details had to be added to Scripture after the fact. The chances of a person meeting all of these is just astronomical. skeptics had a good argument until about 70 years ago there was this fascinating find the dead sea scrolls in the dead sea scrolls they found in a cave they found scrolls of different parts of the old testament and there was one scroll that was fully intact isaiah the book of isaiah you see what's great is god's word the scripture it hadn't been corrupted no no It matched. And they are certain that was before Christ. Those scrolls were definitely before Christ. It shows the prophecies that God is able to do the impossible, that he is in control, that he holds the future. The Bible teaches us how we can be more like Jesus, how we can trust God with the future and shine in the present. See, Jesus faced his Jerusalem because he knew God's word. He knew the purpose. Isaiah 53, 12, yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's us. We are the transgressors. Jesus is going to Jerusalem for you and me. And Jesus tells the disciples several things here that they're not ready or able to understand it's hidden from them. Notice what he tells them that, that he'll be handed over to the Gentiles, to Rome. They would mock him, humiliate him, spit on him. They would whip him. They would kill him. But he would rise three days later. You see... The work Jesus did on the cross, the message of the gospel, that he died, was buried, and raised again, that's the whole reason we're here. That's the reason we have victory. And think about it, though. The guys closest to Jesus, the the guys who left everything to follow him, spent years with him, they didn't get it at first. But this message of the gospel is what becomes the sole focus of their lives in just a a few short weeks. See, these predictions are important because there there, there are a couple reasons. First, it tells us number one, it reveals Jesus' love for us. Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus knew what was coming, the price he would pay. And yet he still went because he knew it was the only way to save us. The second shows that God wasn't surprised. God's not surprised by this at all, by the cross. In fact, in Acts 2, Peter preaching the gospel, he says it was God's set purpose and foreknowledge that Jesus was handed over to death. You see, what happened to Christ in Jerusalem on the cross, it was not an accident. It wasn't an, oops, I didn't see that coming. No, it was God's plan, and this was a mystery that was, that was not understood, for generations and generations until in ephesians 3 we see that the holy spirit revealed it first to the disciples the same guys that don't get it here are the very ones who get it and that it was god's purpose and so i want to ask have you truly heard the gospel have you truly heard the message of the cross? Because when you hear, truly hear the message of the gospel, you're changed. It is the power of salvation, God's power of salvation for everyone who believes. You see, when the gospel sinks into your heart, it changes you. All of a sudden, life isn't about you anymore. It's about sharing the gospel with others. Even being willing to die for the gospel. Uh, You look at these. History tells us that all all 12 of the disciples. Well, all right, we won't get into Judas right now. But history tells us that all the disciples, except John, died a martyr's death. Now, John lived a martyr's death. Boiled in oil, exiled. You think about it. These guys were cowards. These guys, they wouldn't die for a lie. Scripture shows us over and over again, man. These, are, these guys sometimes, they're, they're worse than like junior high drama queens. Who's going to be the greatest? Where am I going to sit? What's in it for me? All of a sudden, the gospel changes that. That they are willing to suffer and count. They rejoice and have joy when they suffer for the gospel. You see, this is one of the other reasons I, I think scripture is just so... Convinced that it's true. Look, if you're starting a movement with 12 guys, if you're starting a movement with the disciples, if they're going to take your message, aren't you going to put them in a positive light? Aren't you going to try to make them look good? But scripture tells the truth. It tells us they're cowards. It tells us they're selfish. It tells us they're bickering. It tells us all this, but then it also shows the difference that Jesus made, that when, they, <laughs> when they're teaching in Jesus' name and the authorities tell them not to, what, they are filled with boldness because they had been with Jesus. They were just ordinary, uneducated men, but they had been with Jesus. They had been filled with the Spirit. So what changed? The gospel didn't change. It changed them. You see, just like, just like the disciples a lot of us, we don't get the gospel at first. We hear it, and we hear it, we hear it. It doesn't, it doesn't click. The problem's not with the gospel. Ephesians three, Paul talks about the gospel, the mystery around Christ, and how nobody saw what God was going to do through the cross, and that this mystery has been revealed, but it had a purpose. In Ephesians three ten. It had a purpose that, so that through who? The church. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. Do you see that God's plan before the foundations of the world was for Christ? And that part of the plan was you and me, that we would make him known. This is his plan. cross what seems like ultimate defeat is the ultimate triumph and makes a spectacle of Christ's enemies you know it's amazing when you look at how the gospel started so small that that we see a, a, a number of 120 right in the upper room pray next thing you know the gospel is preached 3000 daily the lord added to those who were being saved the next number you see with the gospel message, the church is all of a sudden 5,000, and they're just counting them in at this time. Next thing you see, they're just, the world is accusing the church of turning the world upside down by the gospel. There is power in the gospel, and that is our purpose. His work leads to our calling, and that the purpose for the church is to make him known. This gospel is our business. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We don't have time to study it out, but listen, listen real quick. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, man. It was a messed up church with some messed up people and some big old problems, but they were still the church. So if you think your church has problems, it's all right. We're not Corinth. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That would have been a new understanding, but it's been there all along in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. But he appeared to James, his little brother, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Look at this. Paul considers himself the worst of the worst. I mean, some of us, we feel bad about our past. And then in a small town, everybody knows what you've done. We, We have a hard time getting past. Imagine Paul. He... He imprisoned some of those people alongside. He imprisoned the church. He maybe even assisted in putting some to death. He didn't deserve to be called an apostle, but it was by God's grace. It was his plan by the grace given to him, and it was not in vain. You see, God's plan is the church and that's the grace he gives to us. This mystery of cross, of the cross in Christ has been revealed and it is our calling to make God known. So what about you? Have you heard the gospel? Have you understood Jesus' words, his death, his burial, his resurrection? Or is it not clicking? Clicking. Are you struggling to hear? You see, there's, there's really two types of knowing God's word. Hang with me. There's knowing God's word with your head. And there's knowing God's word in your heart. Many Christians, too many Christians will settle for just knowing God's word in the, in the head and not the heart. That Man, they, they can answer Bible trivia all day long. They can quote book, chapter, verse. They know it all. They can go to the original languages, tell you the Hebrew, the Greek. They, can, they know what the Scripture says. But nothing changes. They don't know Scripture in their heart. Now, I'm, don't mishear me. Understanding with the head, properly understanding and comprehending Scripture is critically important. You'll end up someplace crazy. But it's got to be more than the head. This was the problem with the Pharisees and the scribes. They had an encyclopedic knowledge of the Scriptures, and yet they missed God's ultimate word, Jesus, right there in front of them. It wasn't in their heart. You see, the Bible isn't, by God's grace, he's given us his word, not to, to make us experts in Bibleology. The Bible's not to bring us to the Bible, it's to bring us to Jesus, to bring us to him. And so, so many times, Bible study is just that, dutiful, obligation, dry study when God has called us to so much more. That's not what God wants. He wants us to love with all of our head, but also all of our heart, all of our strength, everything. See, we have to know God's word in our heart. That's how we know Jesus. We're filled with his spirit to understand that we are convicted of sin, that we know how to live. We learn the heart of Jesus through his word. You see, when we know Jesus, everything changes. Everything about us changes. Maybe not everything, but everything changes for us. so I ask, have you heard the gospel? Have you really heard it with your head and with your heart? That's the question I want this week for you to spend some time asking, have I really heard what Jesus has done in the gospel? Has it gone beyond just the head and into the heart? Ask, struggle with that. Ask, how has the gospel changed me? If the gospel changes a person, how has my life been changed by the gospel? You know, if Jesus didn't die on the cross just so we'd stop partying like a fool on Friday night, he didn't die on the cross just to make us model citizens know He came to make us like him, to set us free, to know what life truly is. Have you been changed? But then this question. As a church, we exist to make it easier for people to know Jesus. Who are you going to do that for this week? We've got to be intentional. This is our purpose. We have been given grace. By grace we are what we are. Because of God's love, goodness towards us. The victory we have isn't in anything we do. No, the victory was won on the cross. We need to make him known. So that doesn't just happen. That's in the way we battle in life's arena every single day. Who is it? We've got to be intentional. Who is it that you are going to make it easier for them to know Jesus this week? Church, let's make him known. Love you guys.